Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on Wurundjeri land. We pay our respects to the elders of the Kulin Nation, both past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and I think I've seen you here before. To shake the tree of stories from the land of football this week, I'm joined by my fierce feminist angel-faced teammates, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it is Lucy Race here. Hello, it's Rana Hussain here. Rana Hussain, it has been a hot minute since we last heard your dulcet tones on this fair pod. How's mm. tricks? Oh, tricks are good and difficult and all the things. And all wonderful. the things in between. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, since we uh, had you on the pod, you've had a few changes and we would love to ask you about where you are working at the moment. What are you doing, Rana? I am the new AFL CEO. (laughs) 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 Kept that quiet. uh, quiet. You get the exclusive though. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm CEO adjacent though. I've started working at Champions of Change Coalition, which if you don't know, is a not-for-profit that works with CEOs on gender equality. And it's basically asking CEOs from all kinds of industries to really step up when it comes comes to gender equality. And so my job is to wrangle the sports CEOs <laughs> and get them to come to the table and think about what they can do both for their organizations but also collectively, which I have to say for me is a really new ball game. I'm so used to being with communities who feel marginalized and now the tables have flipped for me and I'm talking to mostly the guys because it's mostly guys at the top who can make all the decisions and it's quite a journey. You've been having the conversations for a little while now with this particular cohort. Are you optimistic? I am and I'll tell you why. So we in our last meeting we had a really robust conversation about transgender inclusion which was bubbling away and then kind of exploded um, globally when swimming globally banned transgender athletes from competing and then international rugby did the same. And so the thing that made me really hopeful was that by and large, the sentiment that came out of that meeting was the importance of inclusion and how important it is that sport turns up for everybody. One thing that was really, I guess, hit my heart was this concept of no one should have the dream of being an elite athlete taken away from them. No child. You know, that is what sport is. We sell hope. Mm. We should have the right. Every kid should be in their backyard kicking a footy thinking, I'm going to be the superstar. And the moment we do things like blanket bans when we don't have data to back it up, 
it takes that away from young people. And so that's the hope that I have now. Can I ask before we move on to the actual pod, the it's like we're interviewing. <laughs> I know, I'm loving this. How important is sport to the conversation of of change? Because we, I mean, obviously we think it's super important, but you don't just, the, your organisation doesn't just speak to sports leaders, it speaks to industry leaders across multiple different types mm. of industry. So how important do they rank sport as the cultural change cornerstone? Really, really importantly, I think there's a number of kind of rocks that need to move to gain traction when it comes to equality and that's things like what the government does what the policies look like that's also kind of what big institutions do and what workplaces can do and then the other one is social norms um, and cultural norms and the biggest player in that is sport and so I always you know I have my days in this job and in my previous jobs where I think is, is this working? Are we doing, are we actually getting anywhere or what's the point? This feels really niche. And then I remember actually, no, this is one of the biggest drivers of culture, not only globally, but especially for Australians. And so if sport can really turn up in conversations about equality, then it does move the dial. And champions of change are really clear about that. And that's why they have a sport group. Commonwealth Games are on at the moment and I really feel like it's a very different temperature this year. The Com Games mm. feels very uh, – it doesn't feel like a school – watching a school of Stedford cosplay <laughs> of sport. But I think we're so spoiled by how much sport we can watch now on all the different platforms that it's really hitting me differently. My kids, I had to explain to them like four or five times what the Commonwealth Games were because it's, it feels like it's not seeping in. Am I – alone in this? I feel like it used to be so massive, Lou. I think what the issue is, is that we've just had Summer Olympics and Winter Olympics. I don't know that we're built for big global sporting competitions just on top of each other. And we need a little bit of space and breath. I think we've had the Euros in soccer as well. There's been Tour de France, Tour de Femme, so much sport that it's quite overwhelming. It's barely enough though. <laughs> to quote Roy and HG, Rana. I feel like I constantly renegotiate my hierarchy of like what's important to me in yes. the sports tournament landscape. And I feel like as someone who hasn't delved into the Formula One, I feel like Formula One for the two of you <laughs> just shot right to the top. Only the drama of it. Only the show. I, Only I've the show. To, I've got to be really honest. I <laughs> I thought I'd wake up and watch it, but I don't. No, okay. I do check results. I check results, yeah. The thing is this, what remains is the highlights of footy always make my heart sore. This weekend, Chole Dunkley Fogarty's old school hangers had me just going, this is what our game's about. Mark of the year is my, I think in my hierarchy, marks change everything for me. I feel like that's where our game is set apart from any other game. And when I see someone take a hanger like that, I feel so uh, parochial and embarrassingly proud of our game. I love a hanger. I think I love it more than a good goal. What's the noise that you make when a good mark happens? Oh, my God, did you see that? I just watch. I could watch. I wish that there was a 360 rotisserie. I feel like yes. that's the next bastion, right? That you could get a, like an actual camera doing a 360 angle. Yeah. Absolutely love it. But 
I did have a really funny moment watching Isaac Rankin's goal. Did you see he passed? He, so he takes this amazing, he takes this amazing mark actually because it was a really tricky ball to get to, and then he passes it off to Miller. And then he takes off off the mark and the guy who was on the mark just tries to chase Miller and then Miller kicks it back to Rankin and then Rankin kicks a goal. And it reminded me of cutting the cake, which we used to do in netball warm-ups. Do you know what cutting the cake is? I do. Yeah, so you're standing in a circle and someone's in the middle and they throw the ball out and you throw it back and then you swap spots and then it cuts in the circle of the cake. And I felt like that actual move is something that I think now people will will actually try and emulate. I feel like that might ha- we might see that again and again and again and then people will be like, should I stand on the mark or should I chase the guy with the ball? And I actually think that's how this game is so wonderful because it keeps evolving and that's, of course, where I've got to with rules, that the rules always change because we're always trying to find different ways to- around the game. Lou? Did you see uh, talking about, you know, the way that players try to sort of work the rules, did you see Shea Bolton um, had taken a mark and there was somebody right on him and he went he looked like he was going to handball it and he was trying to draw the 50 meter penalty it's so naughty it's so so naughty Uh, and to be honest I think we've talked about this before Rana where you go like can someone explain the soft cap (laughs) and just because you don't know the soft cap doesn't mean you're not a good footy fan I'm now at this point where I'm like if you don't understand a rule or if you can't watch it and go oh that was or this is what this call should be from the umpire it doesn't mean you're not a good footy fan because in fact watching this weekend's games the commentators the players and the umpires at times did not know what the rule was and didn't know how to effectively enact the rule. We saw a really weird goal review when actually it wasn't even relevant. There was some really strange things happening. I feel like people have just thrown the rule book out God, I don't know anymore. Someone just tell me later. <laughs> I feel like it's a really good time, though, to be a fan in the outer yelling, oh, what was that for? <laughs> to choose your own adventure. Speaking of choose your own adventure... Lions and Tigers. You know, I can't tell them apart. And then when they almost have a draw, I don't know. Where, I don't know where I am. I'm all over the shop. Rana, was that just so hard to watch, or did you feel like the Tigers are just adding grey hair to you every every week? That was such a bananas game. I was sitting at the game and had written them off. I mean, and I will say I'm a negative supporter. I have to just own that. I will always assume that the team I love is going to lose, and then just be delighted when they don't. And then the way Noah Cumberland just kicked goal after goal after goal it made my heart sing and also the fact that coming after the game he had last week and that really heartbreaking moment of the draw that I just thought oh this is quite the redemption for Noah but it was so stressful I don't know with the Tigers like they now potentially make the finals how far do they go into finals is it worth I was sitting with someone who sort of was like well it doesn't really matter I don't think we're going that far even in finals but it was a thrilling game nonetheless. Lucy what were your highlights? Well Noah was one of mine because I thought you know coming back from last week and and doing what he did I loved something Damien Hardwick said about Noah Cumberland which was in talking about the way that he's gone about trying to improve his footy smarts he said he's got his notebook and it made me think maybe he's 
I guess, following in the footsteps of Matt Rowell and has a notebook. <laughs> and I love anyone who thinks journaling is a, is a good response or a good way to learn. So mm. I think that's good. I thought this was a real reality check round. Mm. Very interesting. We've only got three rounds to go. And I think Fremantle, Carlton, St Kilda and Brisbane all had some losses that they won't be happy about. The Bulldogs played Geelong, so they're sitting 10th. There's a few teams just outside the eight that potentially are going to move in. So I think I can't help but look ahead to next week where we see, I think there's four really juicy matchups with Melbourne playing Collingwood, Port Adelaide playing the Tigers, the Lions and the Blues, and then the Cats and St Kilda. And those four games will all have some kind of bearing on on where things end up. You couldn't script this season to be more interesting, really. No, and this is where my lack of maths really um, doesn't play into my favour because I always struggle when we're talking about the ladder. But that third quarter, my other highlight was the third quarter from Geelong, which was genuinely terrifying. Um, I think they kicked like eight goals, two or something, and I just thought... It really is theirs to lose, except that if Melbourne get their heads right, they are formidable, right? Surely they can flick a switch and get back to where they belong, in my opinion. Tell me it's going to happen. I don't, I don't see it for Melbourne this year for some reason. I think it's Geelong's. I think I completely agree with that. I think they're terrifying right now. And it's so weird because they're such a – they epitomise it's a long season, They've just, mm. they just grind away. They shawshank the rest of us. They're just constantly <laughs> picking away at us and they never, they never, never quit. And they seem so cohesive. I just, I hate how much I admire Geelong. And th- this is another thing that happened to me this weekend was actually my highlight is how I don't hate Collingwood anymore purely because I have loved seeing how they take their kids into the circle to sing the song at the end of the game and they don't scream it really loudly because they don't want to scare their kids. And I'm like, this is game changing. Hats mm, off to have- whoever thought that was a, to a great idea to start doing it. And and it really, I guess it really resonates with me because it wasn't that long ago sitting at the Peter Crimmins medal, uh, I was the number one ticket holder at that point of Hawthorne and there was some old, some really old guys who were on our table who said the Brownlow was better when women didn't go and they had been stalwarts of the club and it broke my heart to hear people talk like that. And I thought those same people probably hate little kids being on their dad's hips during the song, but the difference that it makes and the way that it humanises the players, the way that it shows shared responsibilities and duty, the way it brings family in, I feel like it travels a distance that is almost immeasurable. Mm. I, I really shouldn't like Collingwood, but this makes me love them. Are you both ready to roll up the sleeves on your matching grey male sweatshirts and melee? <laughs> Sure am. We sure are. <laughs> Your sister's from another dimmy store. On pod day we wear mail. <laughs> okay, we're not going to back up over this too much because it's been a massive discussion point. In the last seven to ten days, the Pride Jumper at Manly 7 players electing not to wear the Pride Jumper. I, just a reminder that Julia and Rana had a really thorough and intense conversation about this. A few people have tweeted and, and, and retweeted that episode and it's still available for you to listen to. And I know that it's a really challenging conversation, Rana, for you, but I think it's challenging for everyone. For me, it was the rainbow washing the tip of the iceberg. I really felt like what we discovered through this 
moment was that Manly hadn't really done the work in the base of the iceberg and this rainbow washing doesn't really serve anyone and in this case it caused harm. There's a couple of articles that have been out there. Lucy, you dug in and and you read some of the stuff and I know that it's really personal for you as well. How did you go with it? There are some differences in this situation at Manly compared to the ones that were faced in the AFLW earlier this year. Some of the articles that I read really fleshed that out quite well, particularly one by Samantha Lewis for the ABC, where she talked about performative gestures versus genuine cultural change and really talked about how you can't just be celebrating inclusion. You actually need to be from bottom up driving cultural change. It needs to be led not by the top. It needs to come from players. There needs to be education. It can't be something that marketing decides to do because you think it might drive jumper sales. That's me saying that, not Samantha. And that in doing something badly, you can actually do more harm. And I think that's the thing that really broke my heart this week. The thing I loved about this article was Samantha interviewed Eric Dennison, who is the head researcher at the Sport Inclusion Project at Monash. I would really highly recommend that you read this article if you haven't done. We'll link to it in the show notes. The thing that he talked about was that when they're done well, Pride Games are actually something that can drive cultural change and that when that happens, they, you can see an impact in terms of decreasing homophobic language, but you can also see a decrease in dangerous ideas about masculinity that can lead to gender-based violence. So Pride Games as such, if they're done well, can actually be a really great tool in driving cultural change, but you can't do it just by popping a rainbow on a jumper and telling people to wear it. This story made me think of you, Rana, because of the work that you've done in diversity and inclusion, the fact that we first, one of the first times we met you was at Midsummer and Richmond was really closely aligned with the Midsummer Festival, so is Hawthorne. And I kept thinking about the work that you've done, but also the work that I've seen Collingwood do with stand-up events, uh, Hawthorne's Pride Group, um, where Lucy and I are really connected to them. And I just thought this just wouldn't happen at those clubs because the educational piece is really dense and it's been there for a really long time. And while I know that St Kilda and Sydney are so far in the men's, the only teams that have that play in pride uh, jumpers on and have their own pride game, I, I do feel like the AFL is very prepared and very ready. I feel like all the players would be quite prepared and ready should this visit them. I think the clubs have done a lot of work um, and I I really think the clubs are the ones that are lifting their game in this space when it comes to AFL. And I do think that the AFL themselves have a little bit of work to do. There's a bit of catching up there. And, I, and I've had those conversations where somebody, a leader in an organisation said, oh, well, why don't we do a pride round or why don't we have a jumper? And it's really awkward and hard being the inclusion person and saying, hang on a minute, we haven't done the work. We actually need to get a few things sorted first before we go there because you don't want to stamp on someone's interest and actually might be coming from a good place and you work so hard to get their engagement that when they do suddenly go, oh, cool, let's go, you're the one that has to say, hang on, 
we need to do this safely. But I've had those conversations and they've always paid off. And that's why we kind of partnered with Midsummer at Richmond. That's why you you take a couple of years to build the confidence for the, of the organisation to then go out more publicly. And it's just uh, every inclusion and diversity expert that I've spoken to since that manly story broke has been like has had their head in their hands and just thought this is so frustrating and I felt exactly the same way. Sam's article and I'll put it in the show notes is 101 reading like I think any sport organization that wants to do inclusion work needs to read that article it was so well done and one of the really fascinating points in it was that you actually can't lump minorities in together and it's something that people have said for a long time but when we do blanket minority groups under words like inclusion and diversity we are always going to be asking for it. And so what was really beautiful that that article teased out was that you have you actually have to deal with a problem. So we need to deal with homophobia. We need to deal with racism. Now that then means that organizations sometimes throw their hands up and go, well, how can we possibly do it all? And I think we have to be comfortable with sporting organizations saying, okay, we're going to do this bit and we're going to do it well. And then we're going to move on and try and grow that into something else. Sometimes we ask a lot of organisations and people trying to do the work. Sometimes no strategy is better than a kind of half-baked one. Thinking about what happened at West Coast in the AFLW this year, they had done the work but they didn't have the jumper and that now in light of the manly decision, it's so concave and convex, isn't it? They were disappointed that the that the work hadn't been done to ensure that they could be a part of the Pride Round wearing the jumper because they'd done the work. This story feeds in somewhat, I think there's a connection there to an article that Ben Abitangelo wrote for The Guardian talking about racism after some Aboriginal players and a Muslim player were trolled by racists both both online and, and at games in the last couple of weeks. The line of no room for racism, which is the you know, very easy response, harder to enact and hard to, harder to actually get people to embody. His article was fantastic. Actually, it reminded me as well of people saying gamble responsibly. Lucy, do you want to tease out and talk about what that article was kind of positing? Yeah, his main contention is that slogans are meaningless if teams are then partnering with entities that are detrimental to, to groups, particularly to First Australians. So he raised a number of examples um, where he talked about different clubs and their sponsors and how the message can get quite muddied that, you know, you might have the Fremantle Dockers who are speaking out against racist abuse that their their players have been targeted with, but at the same time they're sponsored by a company like Woodside who's proposed an expansion to the Burrup Hub LNG plant, which is threatening Mirajuga, which is a priceless cultural treasure on the Western Australia's Burrup Peninsula. Likewise, he looks to the uh, relationship between the West Coast Eagles and BHP and Port Adelaide and Santos and even the AFL and Telstra who recently had to pay $50 million in penalties after signing Indigenous customers up to contracts that they maybe didn't understand or couldn't afford. The main the main thrust of this article is that we need to acknowledge the structural role that wealth and whiteness plays in sport. 
that includes where the money's coming from. It kind of also reminded me of a discussion that's going on about the Commonwealth Games. There's been some great articles about fairness in light of the transgender bans that you mentioned earlier, Rana, in swimming and talking about how it's, you know, we're, we're trying to get a level playing field. And then you've got Malawi versus Australia in netball. It's hard to, I'm finding it hard to celebrate how successful Australia is at the Commonwealth Games because I know that that is due to our wealth and our privilege and our whiteness in many cases. It's a real problem for sport, international sport here and sport and development. A similar conversation came up with regards to the Australian women's cricket team and wanting to play more test cricket, but they can't play more test cricket because other countries aren't there yet. And what does that mean? And what does that mean for the legacy of the Australian women's cricket team as well? Like it, it is so fraught. Coming back to the sponsorship conversation, I think this is where, and it's like it's easy to talk about and harder to do, but I think this is where like values are so important. Organisations will throw around values all the time, but actually the purpose of having values is to be able to lean on them when it's time to make calls like those as to who you partner with, who you get into bed with. That's what your values are for fundamentally. I love it now when I see organizations say, well, our value is equality. So we're not going to partner with this money be damned. And that's, yes, a risk, but I kind of love it. Where I saw those two things coming together was how many people were saying, hang on a minute, you won't play. And this is in regards to the manly conversation. You won't play with a rainbow on your jersey, but you've been playing with a gambling sponsor for the last couple of years. And that doesn't worry you. I do think that it's a bit upstairs, downstairs, because sponsorship is not a conversation necessarily the players are involved in and they do want to get paid. And that's where the money's coming from. I don't know how much power they actually have to take on the organization about those with those conversations they're the ones that are out there wearing that name on their on their shirts and I would imagine that after reading an article like the one that Ben at Batangelo wrote that it would be really confronting for a lot of players and that not just for First Nations people but also for people who you know want to be good allies and for people who really believe in um, conservation that would be really challenging I'm sure that there's lots of people who struggle with the gambling stuff like we say no to things all the time because our values we know what our values are and we're really lucky that the 10 of us have really good a really good coverage of shared values so we don't have to have really difficult conversations because we all are on the same page about what we stand for but when it comes to a commercial venture I think that I, I really feel for the players in those moments Lou well I think you know we've seen it as well with players who are wanting to be more outspoken and to take more action in terms of fighting climate change and when you've got a number of um, fossil fuel companies and mining companies who are involved with so much money in the game it's hard to look away from the argument that you know is sport trying to greenwash itself as well and but I I do feel that there's a difference when you're talking about individual players and the stands that they're making and the action that they're taking because as you said Em they don't have the same power in that decision making around sponsorship. I do wonder if this is one of those ones where that is the power that they have but if a couple of them started to say hang on I actually don't want to play with that logo on my jumper, what that would say to the sponsors themselves and how sponsors would start to then interact with the players. Just like we saw Hashim Amla, for example, in the cricket say, I'm not going to wear an alcohol brand 
because of my faith. This is where I could have a spin-off pod about the Live Golf Tour. I don't know if you've been following that story, <laughs> but this uh, this is not a golf podcast and I won't make people enjoy my rants about Phil Mickelson, but it is really confronting. That is real tip of the iceberg stuff. Golf is going to split in two quite obviously, and it is money driven and it's not values driven necessarily. And I don't think that the game will ever be the same ever again. And I think they're going to lose history and heritage. Maybe that's actually a good thing because it has been such a privileged and traditionally white sport, but they're going to have to reinvent themselves in a new way. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Sam Moston, and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. There was a story this week, and there was one quote I pulled out that just shocked me because I've never, I, I just didn't know that the broadcasters saw themselves in this light, but it said, Fox wants its own commentators for footy. This is talking about how it doesn't want to take Seven's feed of the footy anymore because it doesn't want Seven's bro- um, broadcasters because it sees itself for more rusted on fans. And I found that really challenging and problematic. And I also feared for, say, making the call, which is obviously Lucy and my beautiful project that we love so much about diversifying broadcast um, teams. I just found it a really strange way to characterise themselves because firstly it suggests and posits that there's a certain type of fan that, that more rusted on means that they want something different. I also did wonder if it was a direct response to the fact that there's Daisy and Abby and that there's kind of a broader, like they said Seven's broader appeal, almost like it was a dirty word. And I was like, Seven's broader appeal has one woman calling. Like I I just, it blew my mind. Lucy, are you shocked that this is how they see themselves? I am shocked. And the other thing I think about is that Channel 7's free to air and Foxtel isn't. Totally. I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about crowd numbers and the the reasons why people might not be going to the football. I think that a big reason why crowds are staying away is that, I mean, has anyone listened to the economic news recently? <laughs> no, 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 I'm heading the sand on that one. You can't even afford petrol. Rising alone. inflation. <laughs> we have rising interest rates. The cost of living is going through the roof. We have a housing crisis. We have natural disasters where people are still living in tents and unable to get their homes fixed. And then we have a pandemic. If you think about the priorities of most people in terms of what they're spending their money, what people spend money on, it's cost of living. Mm. <laughs> and things like football memberships, going to the game, and subscriptions to pay TV don't necessarily fit into that. And so, oh gosh, there's a lot of money talk today, isn't there? Yeah, but the the economics of of talking about your rusted on fans as being people who would pay for the service as opposed Mm. to the broader appeal of, of a broadcast that's free for all, 
I, I would find that terrifying if I was the AFL. Well, it's akin to saying that you're only a true fan if you've, if you've paid a membership. for it. Yeah, that's Absolutely. exactly right. And also the demographics that they're going to kind of put forward as their calling team says so much about who they think the Rusted On fan is um, and that there isn't diversity in the fandom already. Like it just, you know, there I know so many people in my community, Indian Pakistani Muslim community, who have watched football their whole lives, who love it, um, who would pay for KO, um, who would want to see more diversity on their screen. Like it just, it, the assumptions in it, like when I saw this article, that line stood out to me as well. And, you know, that music um, in Kill Bill when Uma Thurman just like zeroes <laughs> in on <laughs> Like that's what happened in my brain. Did you put the yellow jumpsuit on? Did you put on the yellow jumpsuit? <laughs> I went for the yellow jumpsuit. I was just like, right. Who do I need to speak to to absolutely crack this open because it really upset me and I just despair. <laughs> I just despair. Maybe that's all I have to say. But people also aren't watching the football as much as they used to. That article spoke about a 10% drop and I don't know that going after the rusted on fans then whatever that means to them is the solution to that. Look, I could be jumping to conclusions about what I think they mean when they say rusted on fans, but I, I I mean, they could be saying we want to have Kelly Underwood on every single broadcast and she's sitting here and we could be, you know, her, hear, hearing from her and I'm assuming that that's not what they mean. So, but it just really did, it stood out to me and I feared for our national game when they're going down the wormhole of of saying that you have to pay money to be a rusted on fan, I guess, is is my point. And it doesn't grow the game. It just doesn't grow the game. And for women's footy, uh, I really want that to have very broad appeal because that's the appeal, right? Absolutely. Totally. Well, there's another story this week where money and uh, fans – traditional fans of of AFL Australian rules football is kind of coming together and that's around the Tasmanian bid for a 19th license the club presidents are going to be presented with a plan to vote on in a few weeks time and it seems to all be coming down to a stadium mm. in initial talks the Tassie government included um, in their pitch a state-of-the-art stadium to be built in Hobart which be a stadium that would have a roof it could be configured to have rectangular games as well as as the oval for AFL and that they would also be contributing $150 million over the next 10 years. Since then, Tasmania's seen a change of premiers. There's been a change in the federal government. And as we've talked about, the economy's having some issues, including a very big deficit. So this stadium that has been talked about has been rumoured to cost about $750 million. I wrote that down because I'm not good with figures, but that's <laughs> a lot of money. And last week, Gil met with Jeremy Rockliffe, who's the new Premier. There's now talk that the Tasmanian government and the AFL are negotiating over who's going to pay for it, with the government saying that they're not going to pay any more than half, and the AFL saying that the government has to pay the majority. And I don't think those maths work. Gil this week said, this team needs and will have a new stadium if you want a licence. And I think Tasmanians would expect that. 
And I kind of ask the question, would they? Is that something, do we need shiny new things? What is the value of getting a team in Tasmania and having a fully national competition? Do we need to have the big shiny stadium, which I think is something that broadcasters might want? What do you guys think? I just didn't understand the question because we've been playing, there's games down there all the time and I know that they're not from the actual Tasmanian team, like North Melbourne Mm. and, and Hawthorne have been playing games down there, but there are stadiums to play in and to, mm. to make up these weird rules and say it's because of a stadium that you can't have a team, I feel like that's just, again, saying, sorry, you need money to play this game, you need the best and fanciest mm. shoes going around. I just don't see that that's even the point. Is it about making sure that whatever team is fielded is starting at the same standard that everybody else is with the same kind of facilities. But no one has the same. There, It's not equal. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, from what I'm hearing, it's uh, Sydney and the Gold Coast who don't want mm. it to happen because they still need money coming from the AFL and they fear yeah. what will become of them. But, like, Sydney doesn't have, and maybe they have a point, Sydney doesn't, they don't get to train on the SCG the way that other teams get mm. to train at a home ground. But the other thing is, you know, there is no equity. The Witten no. Oval training there is not the same as training at Hosh's, Hosh's Paddock. At Gosh's Paddock. <laughs> Hosh's paddock. <laughs> Shout out, Tanya. Hosh's paddock. We should change it. Um, it's not the It's not. All, it's not equitable anyway. No. And isn't this what Geelong have been saying for years that our oval is completely different? So we're you know hard done by. Like I think we can deal with it. Is the point? Like we can get this team up and running, and we'll manage whatever comes next. And yes, there might be some pressure points there, but. Is that really, like, are we going to gatekeep on this issue? It just seems so strange. Well, and it's and it's such a lot of money. I'm normally Pollyanna, but I'm a bit suspicious here that talking about the stadium as being a non-negotiable gives the AFL an easy way to kind of, if it doesn't happen, say, oh, well, we couldn't agree on the stadium. Mm. It's very who's going to pay for the wall. Don't you reckon? I <laughs> but look, there's. I read a really interesting article, which we'll again include in the, the show notes, that kind of talks about the fact that there's a north-south divide in Tasmania, that there's need for investment in all parts of the state. You know, $750 million is a lot of money to spend in one part of the state. If I were a Tasmanian who really wants this to get up, I would be praying for a Brendan Gale-sized mm-hmm. Deus ex machina to come in and just like save the day, get it done because he's all for it, right? And he seems to be the front runner. Is he still the front runner? I don't know. It's because this is because this is the other thing that you hear from these other interstate clubs that they don't want to have a Victorian CEO. This is what we've heard before, and is one of the main reasons because of Tasmania. Is it because they just want to put a line through Brendan Gale? Potentially. I mean, Brendan Gale's been pretty public on his support for it. Lots of people are being really public and I love that. I actually love that they're doing a really good PR job, but they've got all the Tasmanian players are saying we need it and they've got everyone on board. It really worries me because, again, it sounds like locking people out of the game. It's like what you said about, you know, when you say to people there's no transgender people performing Mm. at the highest level in these sports, all of a sudden that means that the transgender kids – hang up the boots or don't get in the pool mm. or whatever it is. And and I think if Tassie people, they've just, they've given so much to the game. They pay their memberships. They've been getting along. And I know how frustrated I've been that we haven't had a, a Hawthorne team in the AFLW and I've just mm. had to share my love across other 
clubs and other teams, and I've done that for seven year or seven seasons or six seasons, I should say. But Tessie's been doing this forever. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea as well. I think it was Alistair Nicholson who said this that it's on the people who don't want it to make a really good case for why it shouldn't happen. And I don't know that a stadium is that. I think that's kind of like, nah, that doesn't cut it. Give me another reason why this shouldn't happen. Yeah, that's really well, interesting. Well, it's interesting because they need a firm majority when the club, club presidents vote. I think the AFL would like it to be unanimous. They don't. It doesn't have to be unanimous. They would like that, but uh, they do need a firm majority. So Alistair Clarkson's been very, very involved in this. And, you know, he was overseas last year or earlier Mm. this year doing some research and he's brought some of that research back for this pitch. I would love to see him be the coach of the Tassie team. I'm like, disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. I would love that too. We just mentioned the polyamory of AFLW. It's getting very close now. Gemma Bastiani's doing the countdown. She's more countdown than Molly Meldrum right now, (laughs) talking about how many days there are left until the AFLW season kicks off. And my kids, as you know, are very duplicitous in in their hearts because they don't want to disappoint either of their parents. But They went to Carlton training on Saturday. They've been spending a lot of time at Hawthorne and they got, yeah, they got trolled by Daniel Harford who said, get out of here, you hawk scum, (laughs) to the kids, to which I said, he did used to play for the team. So (laughs) I feel like you should have just served that back. Yeah, I think I've seen Daniel Harford at some Hawthorne functions (laughs) just quietly. I loved it. But this is one thing where I have really changed my mind. I think when we started this pod, we used to talk about being team changers. Now I'm all for it. I'm like, I actually, uh, I've had my mind changed by circumstance and by listening and by the love of a good friend called Rana who can basically love two teams, um, love more than two teams even. And I actually... I'm feeling really good about it. I think that I, I think the way that I justify my polyamory in AFLW is that I go for players mm. and I go for story, but also I am brown and gold at my core, and this is going to be the biggest moment in our actual human lives. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I think I've we're going to be unbearable. Watched, you really are going to be unbearable. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Uh, I've loved watching this evolution from you <laughs> it's and it's not just you so many of us because of you know the staggering of the AFLW competition have had to adopt lots of different teams and there's there's is a bit of angst around okay how do we manage this now and I I have been just so interested in how you two specifically are going to manage this and I want to know like have you thought about it about kind of any ground rules for yourself and then I wanted to offer you some guidelines. Great I'll take the guidelines I'll take them. (laughs) Well I am taking a the heart wants what the heart wants approach Mm. so my heart tells me when I'm watching a team it's not something I can always kind of be theoretical about I have to be in the moment. You're the magic eight ball. (laughs) (laughs) But I just like Emma watching the team that I've supported my whole entire life run out with a women's team is going mm. to be just extraordinary and I can't wait for that. I think that where I'm very lucky is that I've looked ahead in the fixture and <laughs> the team I have been supporting for <laughs> the number of few years previously will not play Hawthorne. So Melbourne and uh, Hawthorne will not play each other this mm. season unless they play finals. So I get to defer 
any of those thoughts. I know that I felt just as gutted when I saw Eliza McNamara's injury as I would have if it was anybody playing in a brown and gold jumper. Honestly, I think when it comes to the players, you don't see jumper. Well, firstly, welcome. (laughs) This is a (laughs) wonderful place to be. You get double the wins, double the mascots and double the game time. So your weekends might get a bit busier. But we've got a few guidelines, but I think first of all, you do have to adopt an open marriage mindset where <laughs> you... is that runner? <laughs> I mean, there were three of us like in I'm... this marriage. <laughs> Let's exactly. quote that every week. That's, that's the motto of multiple <laughs> teams. It's just, we love everyone and everyone's equal in this and it's all very fluid. So um, there's no color blocking in this world. My first guideline has a caveat. My first guideline was pay the membership because if you've paid your membership, there's not a lot that anyone can argue with that about. Having said that, if you can't, you can't. That's Mm. fine as well. Number two is get comfy with discomfort. So there will come a time where you think, oh my goodness, how do I manage this? Is my heart big enough? Spoiler, it is. But there's just going to be a little bit of like, oh, which way do I go here? And maybe I might have to work out a way to split into two. You fully barrack for your sides and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Find your inner zen when fans from one of your teams shit talk your other team. (laughs) So this will happen. And you will just have to, the onus is on you. If you're going to have two teams, you just kind of have to find some chill and just let the shit talk happen and it just has to kind of wash over you. Uh, You should try to keep up up to date with both teams. And if one, you find one of your teams drops in your interest, then that might be a sign that you actually do just have one team and you've just been trialing two teams. So mm. you've got to keep an eye on that stuff. If both your teams win in a round, this is a really important rule. You must not celebrate too much publicly to avoid <laughs> being a douchebag. Oh, that's that then because you know that. You cannot be too smug when both of your teams will and that will probably <sighs> teams win. And that will probably happen. So this is, you when you say that, I see Bridie O'Donnell wearing an AFLW <laughs> bull, Bulldogs jumper while she's on the Collingwood board and getting, you know, run out of town because people can't handle it. It's risky. You mm. are you are rule breakers. This is this is not for the faint-hearted. This caper. Uh, have a well. Given that, have a regular footy self-care routine. <laughs> Because you're at risk at the end of each round of both teams losing as well, which is a really uncomfortable place to be. And in the case of finals, you're entitled to a full weekend of wallowing and avoiding all footy chat, which is what I did in 2018 when Richmond and Melbourne tanked in the prelims. (laughs) And my final guideline is the go footy rule, which should be activated when your two teams play against each other, whereby you can neither win or lose. And so your only role is to bask in the joy of footy. I go like forth. the go footy rule. The go footy rule. <laughs> we might have to put these out on social media, Rana, because so there's a number of people. I think it's not just us. Mm. I think a lot and of people will I be would facing love this. Some more because I do need them from time to time. Mm. Have to remember, oh yeah, I've got two teams and it's not always easy. I had a footy merch idea. It's gonna cross some lines. And Mm. it's going to divide some people. But firstly, I was thinking about, you know, when you see those tradies who wear shirts or jackets that have got the inbuilt fluoro on them. So it's like a blue shirt, but then the fluoro top panel. Mm. So they don't have to wear a fluoro vest anymore. They just put that on and then that's a one piece. Mm. And I thought, why can't I get 
a footy jumper version of that because footy jumpers on women in the outer of, of my of my age is not comfortable. I don't want to wear that. No. I and I actually can't really fit something on underneath and still feel good about myself. They're so tight. Often the ones that you buy at the merch store aren't really cut for women because they're, they're men's jumpers, right? And I was like, I wish I had a jumper that was the footy jumper but with grey male sleeves all built in so it was a one piece. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like the, like you mean like this shirt? It's like a jumper with a. It's just got the collar and the cuffs. Exactly so it looks that. Like you're wearing. I think they're called dickies. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like okay. you could even have a collar. Like if it's a Melbourne jumper, you could have a little chambray <laughs> collar attached. <laughs> I would love that because I really struggle with finding something that goes under a Hawthorne jumper for me to also to wear to the football, <sighs> unless it's grandma. But then it's often a bit too bulky underneath a footy jumper. So I'm like, why uh, isn't there a all in one top yeah, that I could wear? I love this. But I'm taking you. it next level and suggesting that I could be able to get one that's also reversible on the other side. It's Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> Hang now on. we're talking. And now we're talking, now, right? And you can get a bespoke one. So, like, I feel like I could go yeah. on Etsy and get this made or something. <laughs> you totally could. Let that, this is now how we diversify our revenue. Mm. Um, I love this from you. I've never <laughs> been able to wear a footy jumper. Yes. Um, they're just, it's my body. It's not great. It doesn't work for me. This would solve all my problems because I do have footy jumper FOMO when I go to the footy. Um, I always do a scarf and then because I wear a hijab, the beanie always, like, doesn't really work. This would solve all my problems and so warm. It's yes. Every, uh, why, like, I actually don't know why this hasn't happened yet. I feel I'm like surprised. we've let the cat out of the bag. Someone will get onto this, don't you think? Yeah. It's a real money spinner. <laughs> Someone get out the Janome. <laughs> Speaking of merch, I just want to say, oh, actually want to ask you both. I've been um, packing up my house recently and I've come across a lot of football merchandise and I realised I'm one of those people that buys merch and doesn't do anything with it. And I wanted to know, because you're three Peters, what have you done with all your premiership merch? Because that also has pride of place, right? And I'm very nervous about touching it. What have you done with all your merch? Full disclosure, I have none. Same. <gasps> I don't exit through the gift shop. Neither do I. Really? You're not into merch? I'm not. I keep my scarf from that year. That's a lucky scarf. Okay. The others get recycled. I don't my even heart get a new, is racing. I don't even get a new scarf every year because of no. I have, well, I don't anymore. Yeah, it makes mm. me feel stuff. Makes me feel sick. Stuff mm. makes me really feel really landfilly and unwell mm. the only thing that I did keep and I don't know where it is at the moment is a Buddy Franklin coffee mug <laughs> which was a <laughs> gift but now it's ironic because he's wearing the number 23 in a Hawthorne mm. jumper and sometimes I just like to have it around the house to remind myself that he did once play for us I buy the books if there's a book oh, a, a yeah. three-peat books just come out I'm very hopeful I'll get it for my birthday and I would always buy any kind of book that comes out Lucy just took a note when I said that I buy a book but I don't buy items to wear and I don't buy anything that hangs on the wall either no oh I um I actually had kept all of the newspapers through that you know at the end of mm. each premiership and I just threw them out the other day you can google it yeah I just thought I if I haven't looked at them in the last like when am I ever going to look at them what do you buy Rana? is it clothes or is it pendants for the wall or posters or what is I it? Have, bobbleheads. I mm. have. Like, the bobbleheads freak me out, so I will not partake. But I have mugs and I have t-shirts and I have pennants. 
hmm. for the wall. That's it. And then I do like bespoke merch, but again, I've stopped buying them because I, they do just sit and collect dust. Hmm. And I've recently just cracked open the D's Premiership mug and started using it, which triggered this thought because I felt like that was a bit sacrilegious, but I thought... No, I think use it. Mm. you got to use it, right? I, yeah, I put a it. poll out on Twitter to ask people what they do and I got 304 votes back and 58.9% of people said that they wear or use their merch on occasions. 24% said they wear it every day. So use your merch is the lesson mm-hmm. here. That's interesting, isn't it? I have a lot of footy jumpers now. I have a lot of Hawthorne and Box Hill footy jumpers and they are absolutely my pride because growing up we only ever had one jumper to get us through all time and got mm. very t- it had a big brown woolen collar and it <laughs> had to get us through a very long time cut the sleeves off that you know somewhere in my mid-teens <laughs> to give me I a bit more time. You cut the sleeves off everything. It's true, I did, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Trick for young players, don't cut the sleeves off a woolen jumper. It does, no, oh, does no. not end well. <laughs> no, no, no. I had a query. I'm going to put this poll out on Twitter. There was a video that was released of... <laughs> Cotter's family with the mascot going to their house and presenting their son with a birthday cake. Is this what happened, Lucy? Yeah. It is. Yes. I think Tiger Stripes Dyer turned up at the Cotchen residence to carry in young Parker's birthday cake. Do we know who was in the mascot? What I, I don't understand the what question. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, it was nothing. just the mascot. Yeah. It was it just was Tiger the Stripes Dyer. Ti- yeah. It's a tiger, Rana. Forgive me. I'm mistaken. Anyway, I decided... I was watching that and I was very nervous because I was thinking this could go, there was lots of other little kids at the table. I thought this could go one of two ways. Not everyone likes the mascot, even though they might be intrigued by it, but this world is broken up into two types of people and it's more important than star sign. There's those people who cry when they see the mascot for fear and those people who cry because they love it so much. <laughs> I think we all know which one, which camp I'm in. But Nicole Hayes has some family members who are still to this day terrified of mascots and I have seen children absolutely lose it with fear. Of, the mascot is terrifying. The thought of a mascot coming into a residential property, I've got to be honest, is quite confronting and holding a naked flame in a cake. <laughs> I was nervous that whole time. I... That is not the natural habitat. I'm not sure that mascots should be going into people's homes. The only home they should be in is Mascot Manor. We established Correct. this. Yes. And don't you think that it, it is like minimal appearances from mascots? They shouldn't just be wheeled out willy-nilly. On You could see them from afar or at like at an open training, mm-hmm. but then that's it. They need big, what, big spaces. Yes. And... It, it, I used to walk around with tiger stripes um, back in the day. That was one of my jobs, to walk around with stripes. It was genuinely terrifying because you never knew which kid was going to erupt and which kid was going to love it. Would you say it's As 50-50 it, in the world split between the crying and the not crying? Definitely. I think you're onto something. I saw yeah. Humphrey Bear once and I, as a child and it made me very upset. Really? Mm. Mm. He was just too big. It was just too big and too scary. Yeah, it was at a ballet concert. It was terrifying for me. I, I'm, I have a lot of mascot discomfort, All I right. have to say. I'm putting that, uh, there'll be a Twitter poll later today. All right, let's roll into other business before the mascots walk through the door of our houses. <laughs> Lucy, do you have some other business? <laughs> yeah, overnight we saw a record-breaking attendance at the Euro final, 87,192 people, the all-time most attended match of any Euro final tournament. 
How good was it? Love to see Just it. Just listening to that crowd roar. Oh. Well done, England. I saw someone on Twitter talking about how they how much they've loved this game but for so long just never thought it was possible to see that kind of a crowd for women and just the deep deep emotions that it brought out just beautiful so beautiful in other news uh Erin Phillips has just been named the captain of Port Adelaide for going into the next season uh totally unsurprising but she looks very happy about it. What a great person to be the captain. I feel like it's it was a total no-brainer, but is she the first captain that's been announced for one of the new teams, I think? I think so. I, don't I think, think so. Yeah, I don't think any others have been announced. It will happen. I know that all the launches for those teams for Season 7 are all coming up, so I imagine we'll be hearing more and more news. But congratulations to Erin. How lucky that they get to have her. We've got some news coming out out of Frio that wasn't great, Rana. No, unfortunately, Cara Antonio is out for the season for hamstring surgery, which is such a blow for all of us who are huge fans of hers. But go well, Cara. And finally, last week, like we announced we're having a live show, which I'm very excited about. Rana, what's the name of our live show? Inside the chat group. It's very exciting. We've had a couple of meetings about it and it's just been silly. It's just been so silly. It's going to be a silly night and I really hope that people will come along. Tickets are free. You just need to register for them. you got to get there. It's going to be basically a peek behind the curtain as Mm. to who we are and what we do. (laughs) And I slightly worried. BYO gifts. (laughs) (laughs) Not gifts. Gifts. And we're really looking forward to seeing anyone who can get along. Yeah. I Can I say, I was at your very first live event as a listener. That was one of the best nights and it really made me look at all of you and go, God, I wish we were friends. And maybe I manifested and now I'm talking to you about mascots. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> there was oh, a lot of so manifesting nice. that night. In fact, all four of the additions to the sanctum were there that night in one way or another and Shelly also manifested because she actually took photos of herself in all these different positions and tried to (laughs) photoshop herself into our poster she totally manifested and ended up becoming a member of the sanctum and Julia was in the audience that night and Tess was our producer and so she was on stage with us that night anything can happen just saying tiger stripes dire We don't have enough mascot diversity in the pod. <laughs> uh, is there any other news or are you guys ready to wrap this up and get out of here? I think we're ready to say go footy. Oh, okay. Do you want to count us in, Lou? I'd love to. Three, two, one. Go, go footy. 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 I forgot to say it. <laughs> <laughs>